Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Milo. It's so good to have you here with us. It's good to have you watching from home. I know there's many of you watching from home this morning. Uh, if you get your Bibles out this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. So find your way to Luke. Uh, that's where we are going to be. Uh, it's good to be with you. It's December. Can you believe it? It's December 2020, the year that you never thought you'd end up in December. Here we are. Uh, many of you, as well as I, uh, you're, you'll be bebopping along this week. This is what I've been doing all week uh, to uh, my favorite now radio station this time of year, uh, Star 102.5, right? Everyone? No one. No one's tracking me on that. All right, so it's Christmas music. It plays all the time, and I've just been uh, enjoying that because as I'm driving down the road, this was earlier this week, uh, driving down the road, the snowflakes are falling, and uh, it's just a beautiful uh, kind of moment as I'm driving through, and then the, the uh, song that is known best for Charlie Brown Christmas, the Christmas time is here, happiness and cheer, right? And you're just driving, fun for all the girls and boys or something, their favorite time of year, snowflakes in the air, I'm driving and just crying and just snowflakes and everything. It's just beautiful. Christmas is here. It's coming regardless of what's going on in the rest of the world around us. We need to be reminded uh, that Christmas is here. Christmas is coming, all right? All right, hey, let me take a sidestep here for just a moment and tell you what we've been working on this week. Uh, we've been working on filming. We've been filming all week long. Uh, uh, this would have been the performance of the story, would have been today. So the story, if you remember, last year we had a walkthrough, a live nativity experience. Some of it was in this room even, and then we made our way out uh, to the building in the back, and, and we did a presentation there in that building, and then we finished up by singing Christmas carols and riding around in the hayride. Do you, you remember this? It was a pretty big deal. We had uh, some things that went really, really well, some things that went poorly, and we were looking forward to a, a second chance at it this year to kind of uh, fix some of the, the glitches and get it right, uh, but we didn't, we didn't do that. Uh, we decided a few weeks ago just to, to realize that we're not sure if it's the best idea. We know that it's not the best idea to be asking and inviting a hundred, hundreds of people to come uh, with us here during that. So we decided against it. And what we're doing instead is uh, we've turned that old bus garage that's at the back of our property. It's been a youth building. It's been a lot of different things. But we've turned it into a filming studio uh, for the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, so we're filming the story or that component of the story. And so uh, that's been going on and we've been uh, bringing people in, uh, different families kind of coming in and recording different scenes. And we want you to know that because we're going to utilize uh, that at uh, Christmas Eve service. So we're planning right now to meet in person, but if for some reason we can't meet in person, either way, we'll be streaming that service and we'll be using uh, our own people, our own presentation there for our Christmas Eve service. So I want you to know that. If you've been to our Christmas Eve services before, they're a very special time. Uh, and, and a lot of times we will do a video of some sort uh, kind of portraying the Christmas story. And a lot of times those are actors and actresses from anywhere in the country, another church that's done it or a, a professional studio that's done it. And we felt like this year is an important year for us to just have our own people uh, perform this and our own people kind of share uh, the story in this way. And so I don't think we're going to earn any Emmys for our performance uh, this year, uh, but we are going to be our people uh, giving this gift uh, to the community and doing so on an online platform and here uh, as a church as well. So look forward to that. That's coming Christmas Eve. 
Uh, the unique factor of what's going on here is that because we've never done this before, we're doing some things we've never done before. So again, we've turned that old uh, bus garage into a studio set, and there's uh, lighting that's all set up everywhere, and we've got trusses built so that we have cameras uh, aimed in on different things like that. And every once in a while, you've got some really talented young people who are doing our filming and, and trying some new things they've never heard, and you'll hear them say, quiet on the set! And then they'll say stuff like, uh, scene three, take 37, action, you know, and, and, and away we go. And like, it's, it's interesting, it's fun, it's different. I've never uh, kind of experienced anything like that. And so uh, we want to be able to uh, share that with you. But I want you to kind of imagine, if you will, this morning that you're on a film set. Maybe, maybe something bigger than something that's going on in an old bus garage. Maybe something uh, maybe more epic in nature. A lot of times they'll have that quiet on the set, and you, and you need to pay attention and need to, to know that what's coming next is important. Uh, some of the bigger films uh, will have a, a, a horn that'll go off, and, and it'll sound because there's a, an entire field, maybe there's a battle scene being fought out in the field, and so they need everybody to know that, that, that we're about to start recording, take action, and so the horn will go off. That's what it sounds like, the horn will go off. It, was, it wasn't as good the second time. The first one was better. Let me try it. That was better. Okay, so that was the third one. So the horn goes off, and everybody knows we're about to start filming. It's important. Something is about to happen. So this morning, I'm using that as an illustration, and that's the title of my sermon today is Sound the Horn. When we look at our passage today, what you're going to hear is the sounding of the horn, because what's coming next is very, very important. The film crew needs to be ready. We need to record. Everybody's ready to go, because this next scene is really, really important. So if you've got your Bibles open, we're in Luke chapter 1. We're going to read it together. We're going to read the primary text here together. In the room, I'll ask you to put your masks on if you've taken them off and stand with us. We're just going to read our primary text. If you're at home, we're in the New International Version. We're in Luke chapter 1, beginning in 57. Would you stand, folks? Luke chapter 1, beginning in 57. This is our primary text for us today. Here we go. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who have that name. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it and asked, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We pray that we would be challenged, we would be encouraged by what you have shown us here in your scripture today. Lord, that the, the horn would sound and we would pay attention to what you have for us to say and for, have for us to learn here this morning. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. So, hey, parents, isn't this the question that we ask ourselves and ask one another about our own children? What will become of this child? What will this child be? What will become of little Johnny? Is Johnny going to be like Johnny Unitas, the greatest quarterback of all time? Or will he be like Johnny Manziel, the worst quarterback of all time? Uh, will he be like Johnny Bench, the greatest catcher 
of all time? Will he be like Johnny Cash, the greatest musician of all time? Will he be like Johnny Carson, the greatest comedian of all time? Will he be like Johnny Depp, the greatest pirate of all time? What is going to happen to Johnny? What will become of this child? What then will this child be, is what they're asking. Well, these parents, Elizabeth, Zachariah, are particularly interested. They have big plans, big plans for little Johnny. They have big hopes for little Johnny. They've got big dreams for little Johnny. And however uh, you and I have big hopes and dreams for our children, this is where the similarities end. Because Zechariah and Elizabeth have reason to believe that their son will be the greatest man to ever live. They have reason to believe that their son will be the greatest of all time. Now, this passage of Scripture we read today, and it comes from the Gospel of Luke. We need to be reminded the purpose of, of Luke's Gospel. So Luke is writing a gospel, it's an investigation, and it's an account uh, about the man who was God. That's what Luke is trying to get across. It's the first of two books that we have in our Bible that he has written for us. Luke is the prequel, the book of Acts is the sequel. Both of them were written to a man named the most excellent Theophilus. Now Theophilus is a Gentile, he's a high-ranking official, and with him Luke is trying to share the life of Jesus Christ and, and make a case for Jesus Christ being the Messiah, as well as the life of the early church and how Jesus Christ's followers lived their lives out in the early days. Luke himself is a Greek. He's not a Jew. We just finished a sermon series uh, where Matthew was our main author. Now, Matthew is a Jew. He's approaching things and writing things from a different perspective. Luke is a Greek. He organizes his thoughts differently. He writes things and highlights things through the knowledge or through the scope of the Roman customs, the common practices, the way that they would live their lives, their law, and how he demonstrate how Christ and Christ's followers lived in that world, interacted in the Greco-Roman way of life. How would they function within all of those things? And he is putting that framework together as he writes uh, this letter and the second letter to the most excellent Theophilus. Now Luke is believed to be a lawyer or a physician or perhaps even both. Because of this, it's no surprise that in this gospel narrative, in, in the Christmas story that we get, that he gives us the greatest amount of detail of any of the other gospel writers, specifically about the birth of two very special babies, the birth of John and the birth of Jesus. It's almost like he wants us to be keenly aware of the fact that there's something supernatural in nature that God is doing here. He's, it's as if he is saying, you can trust me, I'm a doctor, this is not normal. We should not expect these things ever to happen, and this has never happened before. As I just said, Luke is a, an investigation of Jesus, the man who is God. So if we look at our text for this morning, Zechariah and Elizabeth are, are contemplating the fact that, in, in fact, their son may be the greatest of all time, the greatest man to ever live. So Luke is setting that up, giving us the presupposition that Jesus, the Messiah who is coming, this baby Jesus who has been prophesied, is in a whole different category. That he is the Son of God and the Son of Man all at once. He is the Emmanuel, God with us. And so John is merely human. John is like you and I, and little Johnny would be the greatest of all time. Why would they assume this? Why would they think this? 
Well, if you remember from our discussion last week, which covered the first part of chapter 1, the birth of this special child was announced to Zechariah in advance by an angel of God. Don't miss that, friends. We read this passage every year and we start to kind of smooth it over and forget about the fact that every time that someone in Scripture comes face to face with an angel, they find themselves flat on the ground because they are so blown away by the power and the authority of that angel. He is sent there in advance by God to be able to tell Zechariah that a child is coming. Zechariah is serving as a priest in a rural area. So rural, in fact, that it is called Hill Country. That's all that we get. That's, that's the name of the town or that's the region. We don't know, but he is the priest of an area called the Hill Country. That's pretty far out, wouldn't you agree, if that's all that we get uh, for a name of it. So Zechariah is out there. He is serving the Lord. He is, he is serving as a priest faithfully, consistently, without accolades, without attaboys. He is doing God's work and doing it faithfully. We learn that Zechariah is a priest in the lineage of Aaron. So he goes all the way back to the very lineage of uh, the Levite priest, which is Aaron. But he has this double blessing that his wife, Elizabeth, is also of that priestly line. So they have this double blessing that she is, uh, by finding a wife to marry him of that line, it gives them some credence uh, of who they are. And we also find out in the beginning of that chapter that they both live righteously before God. And yet they were unable to have children. And now, Luke tells us, they have grown very old, exceedingly old, incredibly old, entirely worn out and used up, is what Luke is trying to show us. They are old, and yet there's something miraculous going to happen. Zechariah goes into the temple to burn incense, and terrifyingly there meets the angel of God, who seems like he's leaning there on the altar to kind of get his attention on the right side of the altar. And do you remember what the angel told him? He told him his son was going to be the greatest of all time. Check this out. This is chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. When Zechariah saw him, the angel, he was started, startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy, a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be what? He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Did you catch that? His name would be John, and he would be great. His name would be John, and he would be the greatest of all time. What a wonderful thing for Zechariah and Elizabeth to hear when Zechariah finds this out and runs home to be able to share this with his wife, how excited she would be that they would not only have a child, but he would be the greatest of all time. So what does Zechariah do? What, how does he respond? He does the same thing that I would do and that almost any one of you in this room would do. He inserts his foot clearly into his mouth. And he responds, even though he is right there experiencing something miraculous, even though he is there experiencing something incredible, the power of God through an angel there in front of him telling him this incredible news, he responds with doubt and disbelief, even though he's seen something amazing. And so what does God do? God takes his voice from him and puts him in a nine-month timeout. 
He says, maybe next time, Zechariah, maybe next time you speak, you'll be a little bit more selective with your choice of words. Maybe next time you speak, Zechariah, your voice will be filled with gratitude and praise. Maybe next time you speak, Zechariah, your words will reflect the very heart of God. And you know what? Next time he spoke, Zechariah did exactly that. The day came. The baby arrived. Now, I don't believe that there was a frantic rush to the hospital. I don't believe they were unprepared. I believe that Elizabeth had spent her entire life waiting to get pregnant, hoping and dreaming to get pregnant. And so she had way ahead, months in advance, Zachariah had cobbled together uh, in their uh, bedroom and painted the walls and had put together the crib. It was all set to go. She had the safest car seat on the market. She wanted to be sure they were all set to go. It was in the car. It, well, it, so he had the safest donkey saddle on the market uh, to make sure that when they went to the hospital that everything was going to be set, everything was going to be ready to go. Uh, Mary had helped her shop for the perfect onesies and the softest blankets. Elizabeth was ready. The baby comes. Friends and family gather around from every house in hill country. And isn't this the perfect way to describe what happens today more than 2,000 years later, exactly the way that people, still humans, still interact with each other, still put their nose where it doesn't belong, the way that people respond to his name. His name is John, is what she has to say again and again. They were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No! He is to be called John. Like I said, isn't this the perfect snapshot of every small-town community where there's this close-knit community where everybody knows everybody's business, everybody has an opinion, everybody wants to tell you how to live your life, how to raise your children, uh, what your child's name would be, and then the really, really bold say what your child's name should not be or should not have been. This is the community that they live in. But before, we, we, we got to think about who they, well, first of all, who do they think they are? Who is they? Why do they think that they have the right to name this child? Well, before we get too upset with them, they are well-intentioned. They just didn't understand. Naming the child after Zechariah meant that the family name would be able to continue on and be represented well in their community particularly because this child was not a little girl. In, in their customs and in their, their time frame, having a little boy to carry on the family name meant they could carry on the family business, they could own land, they could do all types of things in the community. This was an important thing. This was something to celebrate. This little boy was going to carry on all that Zachariah and Elizabeth seemingly had lost. Maybe he would follow even in the footsteps of his father, Zachariah, and be a priest in the temple. This was a blessing. This was something to celebrate. However, God had a different path laid out for this little child. Just as the angel had told him, his name is to be John. John was to be his name. The actual name John means God is a gracious giver. Isn't that so true? Isn't that so true, particularly for Zechariah and Elizabeth, when they are looking at this child, this new baby that had been born miraculously to a couple way too old to have a baby. They're looking to that baby and say, God is a gracious giver. And so it's so true that Elizabeth pushes back against all of the social norms of the day and spoke out. She spoke out against the leaders, against the people in the community who wanted to be able to, to, to name this child and to force her into naming the child Zechariah. Most likely men, most likely people who are saying, no, this is why it's going to be. And she pushes back and says, no, no, no. His name is to be 
John. This is not right. So, of course, then they go over and talk to Zechariah, and this is that they signed to him. He wasn't, he wasn't deaf. He was mute. I don't know why they did that, but they signed to him, and he responds, and he gets out a whiteboard. He gets out a tablet and writes on it. I kind of assume all caps. It says, his name is John. And Scripture tells us immediately his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, worshiping and praising God. And all the neighbors... All the family were filled with awe. And all throughout hill country, they began to talk about this child. All throughout Judea, they began curiously and continuously wondering about these things. What then will this child be, they said. Would he really be the greatest child ever to live? Would he be the greatest of all time? I mean, he's just Johnny from hill country. How is this possible? But they began to notice as he began to grow they saw that the Lord's hand was with him, and there was something very special about this child. Let me pause there for a moment. I'll come back to it. But I want to fast forward a few hundred years to be able to tell you the story of Isaac Watts. Have you heard of Isaac Watts before? Isaac Watts was also a special, special child. We know him mostly for the hymns that he's written, and many of the hymns in our hymnals were written by Isaac Watts. He was born in 1674 in England. At four years of age, he had learned Latin. At age nine, he had learned Greek. At age 11, French. And at age 13, he had learned Hebrew. I don't know any of those languages. Do you know those languages? By 13, he had them all figured out. Uh, he had a poetic reworking of the Psalms that was magnificent. He wrote his own Psalter. So if you don't know what that is, a Psalter is a hymn book or a poetry book of all of the Psalms of the Old Testament. And each Psalm is a different piece of poetry or a different song that is written. And so uh, there have been many people who have tried to do this over the years and write their own Psalter as a way to be able to remind themselves uh, to be in prayer and to be in thanksgiving and to, to have a song to sing back to the Lord the same way that David and the other authors and Psalms did. Unfortunately, though, for poor little Isaac, he was not much of a looker. He was an ugly little dude. His one chance at love came, and he went, came and went with a young lady named Elizabeth Singer, who actually fell in love with Watts, sight unseen, through his published poems. Elizabeth was so taken back by this man who could write so deeply and so passionately that she threw caution to the wind, and she asked him to marry her in a letter. But then they finally met, <laughs> and she retracted her offer. She later wrote that Isaac Watts was only five feet tall, had a shallow face, a hooked nose, a prominent set of cheekbones, small eyes, and his skin was death-like in color. See, I might be describing some of you in the room here this morning. It is, a, it is an ugly thing that you're describing. Here's how she said. She said, I admired the jewel, but the casket but not the casket that contained it. I admired the jewel, but not the casket that... This lady's rough. But what we know about Isaac as he continued to write, and Psalm 98 was written in 1719 and has this title that I'm sure you're familiar with, and the first stanza says this, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Now if I go back to Scripture... 
Little Johnny, I'm not sure what he looked like. I'm not sure if he was, if he was ugly in appearance, but I, I'm sure that Zachariah and Elizabeth loved him. But over time, he, he became a really weird fella. Would you agree? He's out in the wilderness doing some really strange things. Uh, and, and John the Baptist is out eating locusts and eating uh, honey, and he's covered himself in camel hair and, and living in the wilderness. Like, what's the matter with this guy? Let's pause for a second. We know him as John the Baptist, and I know that we're in a Baptist church, but John was not a Baptist. Like, we got to be clear with it. John was, it's better to be able to call him John the Baptizer would be a more accurate way to say that. John, like, we as a church, we're in a church that's one of probably, uh, of only a few churches in the country that have a, a history as old as ours. 1826, down the street, uh, the church was, was formed. It was a Baptist church, the first Baptist church of Christ here uh, in Williamsville. It later became known as Williamsville Baptist and later became known as uh, Randall Memorial Baptist Church. Uh, so we, we're happy and we love Baptists, but guys, John was not a Baptist, okay? He was known for that because he was baptizing people. The term Baptist doesn't even show up until the 1450s, and so unless John lived over 1,500 years old, it's not John. John the Baptizer. I hate to ruin it for anyone who really was excited about him being a Baptist. John the Baptizer, what does he do? He goes out into the wilderness. He calls people out there. And his job, his, his, this song that Isaac Watts writes later, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. He could be singing that song out in the wilderness. Why? Because he, he does say the words, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. As we discussed in previous weeks, John knew his role. He knew his job. And it was to prepare the way for the Messiah. This would be John's life work. And you know what? This is exactly what Zechariah would describe for him when he addressed the townspeople the first time that his voice comes back and he's able to speak. The words that he speaks talks about John. When he writes, his name is John, when he follows that up, he declares what John would be. When his tongue comes to life, that's what he has to say. Remember I told you, when, when his voice comes, that Zechariah would have something wonderful to say when it comes out. Let me share one more thing before I tell you what he said. Remember when the angel came and speaks to Zechariah? He's in the middle of leading a worship service. Luke tells us he had burned incense. His job was to burn incense, to be the one to go into the temple and burn incense before the Lord. Did, I didn't catch it until this week, but the point was he drew lots to be the one to go in and burn incense before the Lord. What that means is that he drew the short end of the stick to go in and meet with the holy presence of God. Why would that be the short end? Because if there was anything impure in his heart, if there was anything unrighteous about him, that's why the priests would have sewn into the bottom of their garments. There was bells uh, that would make noise when he moved about in that, in that presence of God so that they would tie a rope around their ankles so that if he went in there and his heart wasn't right, if there's anything impure in his thoughts before a holy God, God would strike him down. What priest wants to sign up for that? So they would draw lots. He got the short end of the stick. He went in. And the reason they would do that, because if, he's, if the bells stop shaking, give a tug on the rope to figure out what's going on. Hey, you okay in there? He's most likely not okay. And you have to drag him out, because I'm not going back in there after that guy. So he goes in. He burns incense before the Lord. And he comes out, and what he is supposed to do is to give a blessing. The traditional blessing would be the blessing of Aaron that he would give to the people, one that we read and we say here often as we finish our worship service. This is what he is supposed to come out and say. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. This comes from Numbers chapter 6. This is Aaron's blessing. This is what he is supposed to come out the doors of the temple to say after burning incense. But he meets the angel there and he comes out and all he has to say is because his voice has been taken away. So he's been given nine months to think about what he is going to say. He's been given nine months to think through what he's say if his voice ever comes back. And so when he speaks, it's not number six that he speaks from, but instead it's a new inspired word from the Holy Spirit, a new revelation, a fresh word of blessing from the Lord. It's a beautiful song. It's a melody with two primary stanzas that we're going to look at here. And don't forget Luke's songs that kind of start the Christmas story as it kind of flies out to us, the songs of entering the sanctuary, the music that is playing and his song is leading the way. Last week was Mary's Magnificat, or the words magnify the Lord. Today it's Zechariah's song that is called the Benedictus, which is the Latin word, which means blessed be the Lord. So the first stanza of Zechariah's song sounds like this. Sound the horn. Sound the horn. Check it out. Verse 67. His father, Zechariah, this is John's father, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and he has redeemed them. He has raised up, what? A horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he said through his prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Sound the horn. Pay attention. What's about to happen next? The next scene. What is about to be filmed? The setting is about to change. Something incredible is about to happen. Sound the horn. The lineage of David. The kingliness of David. The strength of the horn. The power of the horn is, is going to be spectacular. Imagine, if you will, if you've seen them before, the ram's horns, the curly ram's horns, they're hollowed out in the center. That's their natural way that they grow. They blow in those horns. Sounds like that, exactly like that. Not exactly like that, but that's what it sounds like. And they play, if you're a brass player, you know what I'm talking about. There's a, there's a whole harmonic tone that happens within uh, that, that thing. And as they play it, they play it out over the valley. And you'll, you'll hear the echo on the other side of the valley. Someone else with a horn as well will pick it up. And they carry it out, and the whole valley is filled with the sound of the horn. It is a very kingly presence, a very kingdom-natured response to be able to say there is something spectacular about to happen here. The sound reverberates across the valley. The call is going out and being sent on and on and on. The horn of salvation is being raised in the lineage and in the line of David. The Messiah has arrived. His entrance is near. His name is Jesus. He will be our rescuer. He will be our salvation. And this horn is the sign of his might and his power of his kingdom and his authority. Isn't it interesting to note that after nine months of silence, Zechariah doesn't say initially a single word about his own child, about his own baby. 
He puts all of the focus and glory on God, his promised rescuer, the Messiah. It's almost as if those nine months of silence had curated in his mind exactly what he was going to say to make sure that he didn't mess it up. He wanted to put all the focus, all the glory on God and the Messiah to come. Then there's the second verse. Now this one is about his son, John. But take, focus, take notice of the focus that is here. So first, sound the horn. Second, shine the light. Verse 76. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to do what? To prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. He says, my son, your role, your responsibility will be to prepare the way to shine the light. You see, John is not the light himself. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But John's role is to take that light and to shine it into the dark places. Shine it into those who are lost. Shine it into those who are hopeless and have no opportunity for hope. He is, he is sign, uh, shining the light for salvation. He's shining the light that the Messiah is here. This is the role that he has. This is the role, turns out, that has been given to you and I in Scripture as well. One of my favorite silly Christmas stories that, that came out uh, years ago is the story of Rudolph. And what do we know about Rudolph? Rudolph has a red nose and it what? It glows. So you can see him. You know, hey, there's Rudolph. You look up in the sky and it blinks. That's, oh, that must be Rudolph. The very same thing should be about you and I, that the, the word should be spreading out. Spread the word. The light should be shining in you and I. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says this, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are what? The light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Friends, your nose glows. It ought to, anyway. If you are children of light, if you are living, you were once in darkness, and there are others who are still in darkness, and God has told us and shown us that it's our responsibility to shine the light, spread the word. The horn has sounded. There's something spectacular happening. Shine the light on who he is. Be able to shine his light for all to see and tell people about it. Spread the word. John really is the goat, the greatest of all time. Jesus puts it this way in Luke chapter 7. So Luke is documenting this as well. He replies to the messengers, go back, report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account after me. Jesus is saying, look around. You have prepared the way, and now it's happening. You have blown the horn, and now it's happening. The light is shining. The sun has risen over the darkness. But after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Did you go out there to see reeds blowing back and forth in the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes... Are, are indulging in luxury and in palaces. 
What did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a prophet? Well, yes, of course you did. And more than a prophet. This is the one whom who has been written. I will send a messenger ahead of you who will do what? Prepare the way before you. I tell you that those born of women, there is none greater than John. Spread the word. He is the greatest of all time. Yet, it says, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is what? Greater than he. Greater than he. He is the greatest of all time. And yet, when you and I carry the light of the Lord, and we walk and carry that light, it says, you are even greater than he. The, the news that you are carrying, the good news of the gospel, is even greater than that. Spread the word. The kingdom is here. What did John say when he was out in the wilderness? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is here. Friends, when I'm bebopping along on the road, driving in my car, singing the song, Christmas time is here. That's what our heart needs to have. The kingdom is here. Christmas is here, friends. We have something to share. We have something to say. Spread the word. Sound the horn, shine the light, spread the word. About once a month, we have a time of communion to be able to talk about what it looks like when Jesus actually took and gave of himself for you and for me. The road had been prepared. The way had been, uh, the path had been made straight and so that Jesus would be able to share this. And so in, uh, in coming in this morning, you probably got uh, one of these. If you're watching from home, you may need to run to the kitchen and get yourself a glass of grape juice if you've got it or orange juice or milk, whatever it is, and a piece of bread, a piece of toast, whatever it is, to be able to share in a time of communion together. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, Scripture tells us. Here's what Luke 22 says specifically about it. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles, they reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you, what? Before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. I will not eat again until I suffer so that the kingdom can be fulfilled. The kingdom of God. The kingdom that had been talked about and shared again and again and again was about to be fulfilled. And he calls his disciples together. He says, come in close. I want you to understand this. I want to share a meal with you. After taking the cup, he said, take this, divide it among you, for I will tell you that I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until what? The kingdom of God comes. And he takes the bread, and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me until the kingdom of God comes. The kingdom is going to be fulfilled. Sound the horn. Shine the light, friends. It's our responsibility to do so 2,000 years later. If we are followers of Christ, we carry the light. We are to carry it and shine it for all to see. And so a time of communion is a reminder to us that what sacrifice needed to be made to give us permission to do that. So this morning, we need to be reminded that the Lord's Supper is more than a sipping of grape juice and the, the eating of a small wafer. Again, with these portable things that we have, it's not even a wafer. I'm not sure what that is. 
but it's a reminder to us. It's a simple act. This is the best way to symbolize it because it's the way that Jesus Christ gave us. This he was going to sacrifice his body for us. That the kingdom of heaven was going to look differently than anyone expected. The horn of salvation was here. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received the Lord, I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he gave thanks. So let's begin there this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the way that you spoke through the life of Zechariah. Lord, you kept him silent, but when he spoke, Lord, he spoke with words so rich and so true that they speak to our hearts again and again 2,000 years later. Going to the cross is a ransom payment for our sins. Going to the cross to right what was wrong in the world. Going to the cross to flip upside down what we thought we understood about kingdom thinking. In doing so, Lord, became Emmanuel, God with us. You became accessible to us. Then you overcame death itself and rose from the grave. So your scripture teaches us, Lord, to come to you as we come together for us to be able to share in this time of communion together in remembrance of you. So we remember you this morning, the sacrifice that you made and the authority you have. So again, we read from 1 Corinthians, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. That at night, when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. Carefully open that package. same way it says he also took the cup after supper he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance Messiah. You are the one that we've been waiting for. You sent John the Baptizer to go out, Lord, to prepare the way. His life mission, Lord, a joy to the world. Let earth receive her king. Lord, as we enter this Christmas season, Christmas time is here. Let us be reminded that it is our job and our responsibility now as, as carriers of the light to be out declaring your beauty, Lord. It's not our job to toot our own horns. No, Lord, it's our job to blow the horn for the, for the child, the son of David who is coming. His name is Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.